Start chapter 16, verse 1. Then I, John, heard a loud voice from the temple, that's the temple in heaven, saying to the seven angels, again, this is God speaking, and he speaks to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God, where? On the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And so I just want to remind us of our context this morning. We have finally come to the final uh, portion of the tribulation period. The tribulation period will last how long? Seven years, that's right, and seven years of God's judgment. And as we've studied Revelation, we've seen that that judgment be poured out on earth in in a sequence, chronologically. It began with the seven what? The seven, where did it begin? The seven seals, then came the seven trumpets, and now we see the seven bowls of judgment. And I just want to remind us, and I think it's important to remind us, to remind each other, actually to comfort one another with these words, that we are not appointed unto wrath, that Jesus is coming for us, his bride, his church. In fact, Jesus took the wrath, the punishment that we deserved for our sins upon himself when he hung on the cross. And we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We've passed from death to life. We are no longer abiding under the wrath of God, but now we are children of God, his beloved children. And Jesus said, I'm coming for you. He said, I've gone to pre- I'm going to prepare a place for you in the Father's house. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I hope that's a comfort to you this morning because it's a comfort to me, man, to know that the Lord Jesus is coming for me. And so um, in chapter 6 through 19, the church is no longer there. The church is in heaven, the bride of Christ. And we saw the bowl judgments begin. And it's interesting, though, as we've studied, we've seen heaven's assessment as judgment's been poured out. 
We see heaven's assessment over and over and over again between the angels and the martyrs, the people in heaven, um, the church in heaven. What's the song? What are we proclaiming? God, everything you've done is right on. You are righteous and true. All of your judgments are just. And I'm bringing this up. I, I, I hope we le- are learning some things about our God as we study this book. Are you with me this morning? Not just so we can say, I know more than you about revelation and, and eschatology and prophecy, and I got a head swollen full of information. But God said in Jeremiah, let not the strong man boast in his strength, the rich man boast in his riches, or the wise man boast in his wisdom, but he who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. And so this morning, God wants us to know him to know him personally, to know his ways, to understand how he operates. And so how do we get to know him? By spending time with him, by studying the word and allowing the word to sink into our hearts, but then not just stopping there, then putting it into practice in our lives. And so one of the things that we learn is that God does judge. And I met with someone this week that had, was questioning God. And people question God all the time, don't they? And I, I was trying to graciously work through this with this person, but some people just think they know more than God. They think they're more righteous than God. They begin to judge God and his word rather than the word of God judging us and showing us where we fall short and where we need to make adjustments and where God wants to come in and do something awesome in our lives and through our lives. Um, Listen, God judges sin. There is justice with God. He is righteous and everything he does is in righteousness. And again, he's also merciful. He's also merciful. Praise God for his mercy. But here's the deal, is that God's spirit will not always strive with man. And we've seen over and over in this tribulation period, as God's wrath is being poured out, in wrath he remembers mercy. He's reaching out to mankind. He's he's not happy, but he's reaching out. Because why? Because he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we've seen it over and over. And, you know, I I was reading this week in Proverbs, in Proverbs 24, because it's like, man, there's sometimes we can rejoice when God demonstrates justice, can't we? We can do that sometimes, can't we? But I'm learning we should not rejoice when God demonstrates justice. Proverbs 24, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Because I think it's easy to forget that I deserve judgment and justice. And yet Jesus took it for me and he took it for you. He was the full and satisfying payment for your sins and my sins, the propitiation, if you will. And we've received mercy and forgiveness because we put our faith and trust in him the perfect sacrifice. God is merciful. He is patient. And, you know, talking uh, again this week to different people, um, there's a lot of people with lots of questions and they're wondering what in the world's going on watching the news. What is God up to? What's going on? Can I just remind us his plan is unfolding before our very eyes. His plan is unfolding before our very eyes. And we pray, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come. We shouldn't think it a strange thing, the things that we're seeing happening around us. As Russia's ramping up attacks, 
as our country is slowly draining the bowl, if you will, for lack of a better word, as we're imploding. And here's the deal. As we set our mind on things above, as we start to spend time in the Word of God, we get a better sense of what God's doing. And not only that, not only do we get a sense of what he's doing and recognize where we are in the grand scheme of things, we're getting closer and closer to his return like no other generation. As we're getting closer and closer, it should cause something to happen in our lives. We should get engaged in his plans and purposes. Not just sit back and go point the finger, but to say, Lord, how would you use me now? I want to make my life count I want to invest in that which is eternal rather than temporal things that are going to burn. Listen, the world is not getting better and better or gooder and gooder. Gooder and gooder, is that really a word? I don't even know. And sometimes the news is not getting better, and sometimes you look and there is righteous indignation. Don't get me wrong. We see people getting hurt and harmed. Our brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters being martyred being enslaved. I was just reading about our chaplains in Sudan and some of the stuff that's happening to the chaplains that we support there. It's like, oh man, it's gnarly. And some people say, how could this happen? How could a God of love let this occur? Well, we know, don't we? The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Correct? I mean, we see the wickedness of humanity, the sons and daughters of disobedience hurting one another, and it goes all the way back. We know from our Bibles, don't we? All the way back to the beginning with Adam. Adam bombed in the garden, didn't he? And we're experiencing the fallout right now. Correct? He handed over authority of planet Earth to the devil, and we've been affected with a sin nature as sinners by nature, sinners by choice ever since. But I think there's one thing we need to make sure that we understand. What we see around us is not a reflection of God, but us. What we see around us is not a reflection of God, but us. Our sin, our mess. And so now as redeemed, forgiven children of God, yet far from perfect, correct? Works, are we works in progress? As works in progress, we have the privilege to do what? To bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The only, it's the life-changing, eternity-changing message. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Legislation will not change men's hearts. It's not legislation that fixes the heart. It's Jesus Christ. The transforming power of his spirit. Listen, don't get me wrong. Now, don't not vote when we get, we're getting ready to vote soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, pastor was saying it doesn't matter, legislation doesn't matter. Listen, we have a blood-bought right to vote. And I bring that up because people come to me, and they'll, and they'll gripe and complain about what's happening, the gender stuff and the stuff in schools, and I'll ask, have you been praying? Did you vote? Uh, no, I didn't think it would matter. What are we called to do? I mean, we're in a spiritual battle, correct? And so in verses 1 through 11, we see five supernatural judgments that will occur during the end of the seven-year tribulation. And you'd think, you'd think that men would cry out for mercy, that they would tap out 
cry uncle or whatever. And what are they doing? They're blaspheming God. They're cursing God. And not only that, they don't humble themselves, unwilling to acknowledge their sin. In fact, they're cursing God for the consequences of their sin. We talked about that last week. What a danger that is. That is a, that is a, a self-deceived heart is blaming God for the consequences of my sin. And that's what they're doing. And now we move into the sixth and seventh bold judgments. And verse 12 says what? Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water, what happened to the water, was dried up. Why? So that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to who? To the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Why? To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. You guys ever heard that word Armageddon? This week, yeah, Biden used this word... He said, we're getting, I can't remember, I'm not going to misquote him, our president. We're getting closer to, listen, what's happening right now is not Armageddon. (laughs) Unless you think we're in the tribulation, and then you would need a checkup from the neck up if you think that. (laughs) Like, we are not in the tribulation period. Because we see what's going to happen. God God wants us to know how it's going to roll out. And um, in chapter 14... Armageddon was alluded to. And now as we read this section, um, we're zooming in for more detail on this battle. And then in chapter 19, we see how this battle rolls out. It's not much of a battle, is it? Jesus shows up, wipes out everybody. End of story. Game over. Well, let's see how it rolls out. The next angel does what? pours out bowl number six on the Euphrates River. And the Euphrates River is a great river. It's somewhere between 1,700 and 1,800 miles. It, it begins, its origin, its source is in Mount Ararat in Turkey. And it flows down through Turkey, through Syria, through Iraq. And then it, it also connects with the Tigris River, which forms the uh, Mesopotamia River Valley. And then it empties out into uh, the Persian Gulf. You guys have seen that, haven't you? Pictures of that. It's, it's historically an important uh, river also. You may remember Genesis chapter 2. It's one of the original four rivers there at the Garden of Eden. Um, and not just that. God gave the border for the promised land, the Euphrates River. It was the border for the Roman Empire also when the Romans were, uh, were the big bullies on the block at that time. And it's also a natural divider between the Middle East and the Far East 
also. And so very important river. Um, and at this point in the tribulation, look what it says with me. The Euphrates River will be supernaturally dried up, allowing who? The kings from the east. And when we read of the east or from the east, biblically, it usually speaks about, and you can check it out yourself, it usually speaks about those from Babylon, Assyria, the Mesopotamia, River Valley area. Some believe that it's speaking of even further east, to the rising of the sun, India, China, Japan. In any event, there's this group of leaders now that are going to be enabled the way the path is now prepared for them to bring their armies to cruise into the promised land. Are you guys with me still? Still with me? Good. Verse 13, check it out. What does John see next? Three dirty demons. And, and remember, John's doing the best he can to describe what he's seeing. And he's, he's like, like frogs. And frogs are pretty gnarly critters, aren't they? Slimy. Na Would you guys kiss a frog? No. They're just nasty, right? Somebody's like, yeah, I'll do it for money, man. <laughs> I got some in my pond out back. They're nasty. Filthy. And so these three dirty demons, they resemble frogs leaping out of, who's the dragon again? Satan, the devil. Who's the beast? The Antichrist and then the false prophet. And the three of them, you guys remember, they, can, they make up the counterfeit or unholy trinity that will be on the scene during the tribulation period. We were given more insight about them and their ministries that's for lack of a better word, ministry, um, their lies and deception in chapter 12 and chapter 13, more insight concerning them. But we see here um, the counterfeit trinity, what are, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be deceiving and lying to people, tricking them with signs and wonders. And notice what it says about these unclean spirits. It says, number one, they're spirits of demons. So three demonic spirits will be used to do their bidding, to do their work. And what will they be doing? Performing signs. They're able to do the miraculous, the supernatural. Listen, the supernatural and miraculous is not always from God. That's why we have to test all things. Okay, are you with me still? We've talked about this. We don't have time to like do a Bible study on that. And, and by the way, signs and wonders don't produce a lasting faith. Signs and wonders just create a craving, a vacuum for more, bigger, more wonderful. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You want your faith to grow? Get into the Word. Let the Word of God get into you. Spend time with Jesus. But they're going, to be, they're going to be doing the supernatural, the miraculous. And then notice what it says. These three miracle-working, dirty demons, if you will, pay a visit to who? To global leaders and also, who else? What does it say? The whole world. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? So this is a global deception that's happening. In fact, the Apostle Paul told us about this. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's verses 9 through 11, but I want to read verse 8 so we understand what happens to the Antichrist. 
verse 8, and then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed when the church is gone, by the way. Church is gone, that's when the Antichrist is going to be revealed, if you study that passage. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. How cool is that? Toast. Game over. The breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one. So what's his coming going to be like? Is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's heavy right there, isn't it? So the people that will be deceived are those who rejected the truth. Listen, if you reject the truth, all you're left with is lies. And we've seen, didn't we see that with these in the tribulation? Hardening their hearts and hardening their hearts against God, blaspheming, cursing God. And for this reason, this is like spooky stuff, this is heavy. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's heavy. But Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. They won't come to the light, lest they're exposed. And so they've been exposed to much light, haven't they, in the tribulation period? Have they been exposed to much light? I mean, think about all the witnesses. Three angels cruising through the sky, warning them, sharing the everlasting gospel, so no one misses out on hearing the truth, and they've hardened their hearts and hardened their hearts, and now there's this delusion, there's these, this lying spirit. If you're taking notes, 1 Kings chapter 22, remember King Ahab? God had a lying spirit go, same thing here, to lead Ahab into battle. And so... The purpose of these demonic forces are what? To lie, to deceive, and, and I just want to point out something else as, as, as we read through this. Evil, wicked rulers are not just wicked. Evil, wicked rulers are not just wicked, but there is a demonic force or forces at work in their lives. I mean, you study history, look at Nazi Germany and Hitler... Stalin in Russia, Pol Pot, where was he at? Like Laos or Cambodia or over there? The killing fields? It's demonic what these men were able to do. The lies, the deceit, to get everybody on board to murder and kill innocent men, women, and children. Are you guys still tracking with me? I, this seems to be what's happening with Vladimir Putin right now too. He may be under demonic deception as we see him do what? Direct his forces to take innocent human beings. Men, women, children, bomb them, kill them. He has absolutely no concern for human life. That type of thinking, I, this could be straight up, that's demonic. That's, that's straight satanic stuff. And so... I have no doubt evil principalities and powers are at work behind the scenes and what's happening. And we're seeing right now that manifested on a global stage. 
So what do we do? Freak out and duck our head in the sand? No. What are we called to do? If it's a spiritual battle, we do what? We take up our spiritual weapons, the word of God in prayer, and we get engaged in that battle. I start, what can I do? I don't know what I can do. You can start praying. Pray that the missiles would miss, that the Russians would shoot the other way, and that somehow God would move in a powerful way to rescue people. By the way, we ministered, it's interesting, on one of our missions trips, we were in Russia, we were able to minister to the military there to share the gospel. And I'm praying for the seeds that have been planted. Please pray. Please pray. And we have missionaries there also that we're supporting that are engaged and also on the border of Ukraine. And it's like amazing that God, what God is doing in the midst of tragedy and turmoil, what man intends for evil, God uses for good. And so we want to be, you want to get engaged, can I just encourage you to be a person of prayer? Our prayer, does prayer work? Does prayer matter? Yeah. And so... Um, why, are, why are all these people being gathered? Look what it says right at the end of that verse. It says, everyone is being brought together. They're being recruited, brought in to fight against the Lord. Psalm 2, said, Psalm 2 speaks about this. Men shaking their fist at God, trying to do battle with God. And what does God do? He laughs as he looks down. I can't believe it. But why would the devil do this? Think about, why would the devil? He knows Jesus is coming. That Jesus will come and conquer and set up his kingdom and establish it in Jerusalem. Satan will be incarcerated. Jesus will take over the planet, which rightfully belongs to him. And so he's doing the best he can to try to stop, to try to thwart God's work. And what does the thief come to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. And so the armies of the nations are gathered by these demonic forces to ultimately what? To do battle against Jesus. Listen, I think this is a word of wisdom this morning. Can I just share this with you guys? You ready? Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Buckle down. It's a bad idea to fight against Jesus. Duh. Yeah, it's not a move. It's dumb. You'll never win that battle. And, you know, just studying this, God is allowing this, will allow this to happen, and God is allowing us this morning to see this and to recognize, listen, how nasty Satan is, how rotten. The devil wants to gather people together against Jesus. That is his end game, to steal, to kill, to destroy. This is where humanity is headed, you guys. Hearts so hard, united to fight against Jesus but let me bring it down to a like ground level, street level this morning. Maybe you've come here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you have no peace in your life. You're fighting against Jesus right now. And listen, it's a battle you'll never win. He loves you. He's reaching out to you. He's using a fool like me to reach out to you to share the good news with you that he loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on a cross. Give me one good reason to believe, Pastor. I'll give you three. How about three nails? To pay the price for your sins and mine. To willingly do that. To endure the shame. 
the suffering. He's made it so simple. Those outstretched hands communicate, come to me, come to me, I love you. And he didn't stay dead, he rose again from the dead on the third day, demonstrating that everything he said is true, that he is God. And he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. No surrender, you're going to end up defeated. And that's what we see here. We see the devil's end game is to wipe out people's lives. And we need to be aware of that. And so all of a sudden, look at, look at verse 15. Do you guys have red writing? Is yours in red in your Bible? No, some of you, yes, no, maybe so. Mine's in red writing. If it's in red writing, who's speaking? Well, we know it's Jesus, don't we? Who else is coming quickly? Amazon? Is Am- Amazon's coming quickly. <laughs> who's coming quickly? Jesus. In fact, three of the last four statements from Jesus in the Bible, he says that. Flip forward with me, Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly or suddenly. And so Jesus interjects here and he gives really not only comfort, he gives an exhortation, but he also gives a warning too. And I'm going to be straight up with you guys this morning. I don't know exactly what this verse means. I'm going to try my best to work through it verse by verse, word by word, piece by piece, that we might gain understanding. But I don't understand this fully because it's a warning. And listen, it is a warning for those original recipients of the book of Revelation, number one. Remember who it was? Remember the seven churches we learned about? This went out as a letter. It was read to the churches. Just like this morning, I'm reading, you're listening. Didn't Jesus say you'd be blessed by reading and listening this, by the way? So the immediate context is for those that are reading this for the first time. Or those who are reading it right now. It's for us. And so it's a warning also. It's an exhortation, comfort, warning And Jesus says what? Behold, check it out. Check it out. I am coming. If Jesus says he's coming, is he going to come? He's coming. Pastor, why do you believe the Lord's coming? You always talk about the Lord coming. Because he says so. Every New Testament author speaks of Jesus' coming. Specifically, the rapture of the church. And some people say, oh, that was some kind, that's, that came up, you know, back in the 1900s somewhere, and someone came up with a rapture. That's baloney, dude. The early church, the apostles, they were all looking for the imminent return of Jesus Christ and lived their lives in light of that. That he could come at any moment, and it keeps us on our toes. Why hasn't he come for 2,000 years? It keeps us on our toes. It keeps us pure in our hearts. It keeps us about our Father's business. There's a reason for it. And Jesus says, how's he coming? 
as a thief. How does the thief come? Does he, does he shoot you a little text message, let you know, I'll be there at 1242, sharp, velvet grass lane. Is that what he does? Email, blast to the whole family. Suddenly, without warning, correct? Am I correct about this? Anybody been ripped off? I have. Tanya, I was sharing first service. Tanya and I had everything we owned in our Ford Bronco in Nashville years ago when I was playing baseball. Everything got stolen. It was like, oh. the, the guy didn't like call our, our hotel room. Hey, uh, it was sudden, quick, boom, gone. And when Jesus comes, what's gonna be, when he takes us out of here, sudden, quick, boom, we're at, in a twinkling of an eye. Bodies changed. How cool is that going to be? Brand new. Anybody excited for that? I'm going to get an amen here somewhere this morning. (laughs) Personally, for me, as I look at this verse, uh, and you may disagree, it's hard for me to see this verse as his second coming to this earth to set up his kingdom. Why do I say that? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 what his second coming to this earth to set up his kingdom will look like, and there's unmistakable calamity going on. It's unmistakable. And so when Jesus comes like a thief, it's going to be, boom, we're out of here. Business as usual world, eating, drinking, giving in marriage, and all of a sudden the Son of Man comes, boom, to take us out of here. To take his church, it is imminent. And the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit's exhortation for us always in light of that? I'm going to read just a couple of spots. If you're taking notes, James 5. Listen to what James says. You also be patient. How are we doing in that department, by the way? Not too good. Don't lie in church. It's okay. We, we, you also be patient. Y'all be patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not, we don't need help with this one. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, um, he said that you make that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting. If you're eager, that's exci- is that excited? Eagerly waiting. Tanya came, flew in with my girls yesterday from California. I was eagerly waiting from the at the airport. Got the wrong terminal and everything. Where is she? <laughs> but don't we eagerly wait for the one we love? Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he shows up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We turn from, to God from idols to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I love this. This is so good. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he going to do? Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body 
according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The Lord coming. Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13. I'm going to read this also. Titus 2.13. Grace should be teaching us something. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. love this verse. Verses, beloved, you be loved. Now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And now little children, this is 1 John 2, 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so Jesus says, back to Revelation, he says, behold, check it out, I am coming, right? Is that what he says? I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he. What's blessed mean, by the way? Oh, how happy is the man, or oh, how spiritually prosperous is the man or woman who what? What do we, do? What do we need to do to be blessed? who watches, stays alert, is on their toes, ready, on guard, not caught, unaware, to maintain an attitude of preparation. You want to, anybody want to be blessed this morning? No? You guys want to be blessed? Jesus is saying this to us. Be watching. Literally means to, to be vigilant, cautious, to stay awake. And I think, how many, how many of my thoughts this week have been, Lord Jesus, I know you're coming. How about for you this week? The Robertson family gets pretty busy. I just got to confess, I should have had more thoughts looking for his return. Because again, it has a, not only a purifying effect, but you invest in that which is eternal. And we get caught up in daily stuff, don't we? Home life, business, work. And Jesus is reminding us to watch. Two things, you'll be blessed. To watch and what else? To keep his garments. Blessed is that person who stays awake and doesn't take off their clothing. That word keep, that's interesting. That word keep means to attend carefully, to take care of, or to hold fast. Why? Otherwise, lest, Jesus says this, you may not have a garment any longer. You will be unclothed, disrobed, or uncovered, and no garments means what? You'll be humiliated as others look upon you. What in the world are these garments? What are we talking about here? There's only one garment I got. That not true, Pastor. You got a bunch of Hawaiian shirts, man. <laughs> There's, listen, there's only one garment that is of spiritual, eternal value. And Isaiah put it this way. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, so good. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. 
For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. <sighs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Did you earn that robe? Did you work real hard for that robe? Did you put in the time, sweat, hard work, blood, sweat, tears for that robe? It's a free gift. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible puts it this way in big theological terms, God imputed the very righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account. Another way of putting it is like what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61.10. We've been robed or covered with the very righteousness of God. That's beautiful. That's amazing. It's a free gift. Is that cause for rejoicing this morning? Yet, hallelujah, yet there's this very serious warning. What do, what do we do with that? I have heard so many, I've, I've listened to a whole bunch of people and read a whole bunch of commentaries to figure this out. And I'll tell you what, there are some people that monkey with the scriptures. I didn't realize how many, how many commentators, and commentators are just common potatoes from Idaho, by the way. Some of you will get that later. It's totally, it's totally cool. It's just commentators. Got it? Okay. Commentators. Okay. Ordinary spuds from Idaho. The commentators are. Okay. I listen. I I don't ever want to jack with God's word. You guys know that. If you've been around here for any amount of 20 years, we, I've been going through the Word, no apologies, verse by verse. This is what it says, and I say, check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You check it out for yourself. But I've seen so many pastors, commentators twist this scripture. Listen, if my Jesus says, be careful of ending up shamefully naked and without a garment, then I'm going to take that warning pretty seriously. I'm going to continue to trust him and abide in him. And I'm just going to put it out there. The only safe... There, listen, there is no safety and security from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all I know. Well, once saved, always saved. Can't lose your salvation. You're preaching lordship salvation. No, 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 no. All I know is the safest, securest place in the whole wide world, the only place, is abiding in Jesus Christ. I don't see any of those other, those are man-made phrases. I don't know. All I know is the just shall live by faith. To keep trusting. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not a works-based salvation. I'm not saying trust Jesus and be a really good person and you'll be saved. This exhortation, I believe, is an exhortation to continue to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ, to continue to trust him and him alone for your salvation. Because what's going to happen? Remember what Paul said to Timothy? You know what's going to happen in the, in the last days? Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I'm not going to monkey. Don't be deceived. Listen, do you have the right garment on this morning? Not fig leaves. Remember what Adam and Eve tried to do? 
tried to cover themselves. That was a bad, isn't that bad? Fig leaves? Itchy, scratchy, not like fruit of the loom (laughs) stuff. And it speaks of trusting in your own efforts, your own righteousness. That won't cut it. What did God say in Isaiah about our own righteousness? It's like filthy rags. Let me read one more verse from Isaiah. Hopefully it'll be a comfort to us this morning. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah. It's in one of the Old Testament books. <laughs> oh, check this out. You got, this is so good. Listen to what this says. This is um, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Our righteousness is only because of Jesus Christ. Keep trusting. Amen? Remain in the faith. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. There is no other name under heaven in which a man can be saved. And then it finishes, verse 16. Oh, we're out of time. When are we going to finish these bowls? I know, I'm with you. Verse 16, look what it says. And they gathered them. And if you have a King Jimmy Bible, it says, and he, I believe it says, and he gathered them together, where? To the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. So whether it's the Lord who ultimately is sovereign and in control, or it's these lying spirits, these dirty demons gathering everyone, kings, and all the earth dwellers that have rejected the Lord, where do they gather to? They gather to... Um, the Valley of Megiddo. Actually, Armageddon means Hill of Megiddo. And if you've been there before, you know, I've been there, it's humbling to stand on the hill there and to look down on the Valley of Jezreel to recognize, man, what's going to happen here is heavy. And it's a famous place for battles, even biblically. You guys may remember Gideon fought there, Barak fought there, Saul, um, King Josiah also fought in that valley as well. Through history, there's been many battles that have been fought there, but ultimately, there's a future battle, the battle of Armageddon, and it's really the battle of that great day of God Almighty, verse 14 says, and it's not going to be much of a battle, is it? Jesus will show up, and he's going to crush his enemies. Um, And as we finish, the Bible teaches us that there's three prophetic battles on the horizon. I I think it's important that we understand this. There's three prophetic battles on the horizon. Number one, there's one coming up, and it's before the tribulation, I believe, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Gog, Magog, and their allies will attack Israel. Who is that? Russia and the leader of Russia, along with Iran, Turkey, Germany, and some other nations, uh, there's a lot of speculation as to which, all of which, which they're going to attack Israel. Guess who wins? God wins. God will not stop that in its tracks, that attack. That's before the tribulation. End of the tribulation, battle of Armageddon. Who wins? God wins. At the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan gets cut loose after the thousand years, and he stirs up a rebellion to attack, and who wins? 
God wins. So we know who wins all the battles. Does God ever lose a battle? So what's the finishing point? God wins. Be on the right side. Amen. <laughs> it's not hard. We lose battles, don't we? No way, Pastor. Not me. Not me, Buckaroo. I... Victory in Jesus. I'm fighting from victory. <laughs> we lose battles. Some of us lost some battles this week, didn't we? No. It happens when we trust in our own wisdom, our own strength, our own sufficiency. Remember, remember, get remember Samuel? Get remember Samuel? He was raised by wolves, right? Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. Remember those priests? In God's house. Remember Hannah dedicated the young dude, left him in the house of God. Wolves raised him. It's a joke. It's real. They were wolves. The Philistines came to attack. And what did the people say? What did the priests say? Hophni and Phinehas, we need the ark. Bring the ark into battle, man. Like a lucky rabbit's foot. Remember those lucky rabbit's foot when you were a kid? If not, Google it. You can see they don't work. <laughs> like, we got the ark. Bring the ark into battle. We're going to win, man. And what happened? They got pummeled, didn't they? The Israelis, the IDF, <laughs> wiped out. Hophni and Phineas, toast. They lost the battle. Wait a minute, they got the ark. It represents the presence of God. Didn't they bring God into battle? No, they went into battle without the Lord. They thought a box was going to save them. Are you with me? They lost the battle. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Not our own strength. But listen, what did the, remember what the Philistines did? They, you guys remember what the Philistines did? They took the ark and brought it into the house of Dagon, their god, their merman, half, not mermaid, merman, half man, half fish. You guys understand what I'm saying? That was the, their idol. Because what were they saying when they did that? They brought the ark, our god beat their god. Would God let that happen? No, remember what happened to Dagon? Fell over, lost his arms, head, the whole bit. <laughs> we got to get the ark of God out of here. Let's put this thing back together and keep working. If you got to pick up your God, you got the wrong God. <laughs> but some people do, don't they? Pick up your God, you got the wrong God, man. Money. Your God can be cut up. You got the wrong God. I need a God that can carry me. And the Bible says, underneath you and me are his everlasting arms, brother or sister. Jesus said, you're not only in my hand, you're in the Father's hand. 